Thanks for choosing to spend time in the studio with Michael Card. What you're about to hear in this podcast was recorded several years ago in Franklin, Tennessee. Though some of the details about guests and ministries may have changed since this was first broadcast, the messages discussed in these conversations still ring true. This session is made possible by our friends with the Christian Standard Bible. Learn more about the CSB translation online when you visit csbible.com. Listen now to this program from the archives. Studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepherd. On today's program, a bit later, we'll talk with theologian J.I. Packer. We'll talk with him about creativity and musical taste, and we'll talk with Pastor Denny Denson. But Michael, we also want to study the scriptures together today, and we will be doing that in just a few moments. That's a part of every every program, what we call the commentary section. Mm-hmm. Very important part of the program. We're coming to you from Franklin, Tennessee. Glad to have you join us each week. And a bit later on, we'll give you the address where we can be found on the web. We love to have our listeners stop by and view what's available there and even submit a question to the program if you have a Bible question you'd like to send to us. That would be great. Well, let's get started today. We've been talking about Hebrews, Michael, as a doorway between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And we've had some rich study with different guests. And from time to time, you and I sit and talk about the scriptures here. We'll be doing that momentarily. But you have a song uh, called New and Living Way that I guess we'll start the program with this, if you don't mind. Great. It's an image of Jesus as our high priest. All right. Along with Paul Eckberg on percussion and Steve Mikesell on bass. Here then is Michael Card with New and Living Way. would stand an offering of blood held out in his hand before the curtain there he would stand in front it hung there to hold in the holy to keep in the light a new and living way curtain that was torn, the climax of the cross, the moment our hope was born, by a new and living way. And when time was full, another priest came to say, offer forgiveness for he was the offering he gave from his sacrifice from that dark disgrace came the power to make anywhere a most holy place a new and living way through the curtain that was of a cross the moment our hope was born by a new and living way a new and living way a new and living way our hope is born through a new and living way Hebrews 10:19 says therefore brothers since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body and since we have a great priest over the house of God let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And a that's where and, the song comes from. Yeah, a new and living way, a wonderful, not, not the old way, not the dead way, but a living way, a living sacrifice. We're living stones. It's living water. It's a, it's a wonderful world that we've come into in Christ. I would invite our listeners, Michael, to, if you can at the moment, pick up your own Bible and follow along with us. We're going to uh, take a look at Hebrews chapter 9 and parts of chapter 10 as well on today's program. 
And what we're going to do is, is look back at this whole image of Jesus as our high priest, of Jesus' uh, activity in the tabernacle, uh, that is the tabernacle in heaven, and, uh, and see what the writer of the book of Hebrews intends for us to understand about who Jesus is and, and what he means. Now, there's quite a bit of detail here in chapter 9 about uh, the old way, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering why all of that is there. Why do, why do you think we re- we're reviewing all that at this point? Well, that the, those first five verses in chapter 9, I think, are just meant to set the scene. I mean, it's scenery. He's placing the scenery in our imaginations for us. We have the, the ark and the jar of manna and Aaron's staff and the golden altar and all these things placed just so. And I think that's uh, to set the scene for us to then enter in with uh, verse 6. When everything had been arranged just so, the priests entered regularly. So uh, the the men and women to whom this letter is written, they know these scenes. That they've, they've played this before mm-hmm. in their, in their uh, imaginations. But I think what's so important is this uh, statement in verse 7 that that priest entered uh, once a year, never without blood. That Mm. is, he can only go into that holy of holies once a year and never without blood. And so that introduces for me this question, okay, what's this whole issue of the blood about? And then we're introduced in verse 11 to the blood of Christ. Right. It's, this it's, is where the turn comes. Here. Yeah, this is a blood issue that uh, that we're, we've taken up. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that were already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. And this this is just a side detail, but uh, Wayne, I don't know if you've ever wondered, why don't they talk about the temple? Why are they talking about the tabernacle mm-hmm. all of a sudden? Mm-hmm. And I really think early Christians, first century Christians, uh, reverted back to the image of the uh, tabernacle but because for them, the image of the temple had lost its power. I mean, if, if you look at the book of Acts, it, sometimes it's almost seen as an anti-temple book. Mm-hmm. I mean, Stephen's speech is really an anti-temple speech. And so the image for the first century Christians becomes the tabernacle once again. The so tent. It, absolutely, the tent of meeting. Mm-hmm. And so here in Hebrews uh, 9 and 10, we see our high priest, Jesus, carrying out his responsibilities in this tabernacle uh, that's in heaven. And the most remarkable thing about this high priest that we have, that the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us about, about is that he is a high priest who sacrifices himself. And verse 12 says that Christ entered once for all into the most holy place. Unlike the priest who had to do it every year, Christ did it once for all. And and the, the important thing is he did so by his own blood. Hmm. That's the striking image. I mean, that it would have just, uh, the, the English would say, they would have been gobsmacked. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> to have heard that here is a high priest who sacrifices himself. Thus securing an eternal redemption. So everything else was kind of a temporary fix, wasn't it? It, it is. And, and, and everything else was really a, just a shadow of things hmm. that were to come. And uh, when we see each one of these minute details uh, fulfilled perfectly in the life of Christ, I mean, especially for those first century Jews, but even still today, it must have just been a staggering thing to see. When we come, for example, to John's gospel, we see this sort of uh, um, amazement. Uh, John talks about how the the first criminal that was crucified with Jesus, uh, they broke his legs there on the cross to hasten his death. Mm. The third uh, man, the, the other criminal who was crucified on the other side of Jesus. Again, he had not died yet, so they broke his legs so that his death would come more quickly. But John is simply amazed by the fact that when they came to Jesus, he's already dead and they don't break any of his legs, which is precisely uh, the way the Passover lamb is sacrificed. None of its bones are broken. And John is just amazed by that. And I have to believe that these first century Jews, uh, early Jewish Christians, would have just been amazed at, at their Lamb of God perfectly uh, fulfilling every detail of Jesus, their high priest, who f- perfectly fulfills every detail of the role of the high priest. I've always enjoyed the the terminology mediator. That just uh, does, resonates in my heart for mm-hmm. some reason. In verse 15, it calls Christ the mediator of the new covenant. He is the one who stands between a man and God. Mm-hmm. And when we look at this uh, image of the Old Testament high priest uh, as mediator, I mean, Obviously, every now and then, uh, one of them is going to die. They're going to have to be replaced by another, but not so with Jesus. Once for all. And when you look later on in chapter 10, uh, around verse 11, you begin to get a feeling almost for the, the monotony of this thing, yeah. day after day. The, rich, every, the ritual that it was. 
yeah, it, it, it just goes on and on, but never fully accomplishes. Uh, it's almost monotonous. Day after day, every priest stands and performs. Again and again, he offers, which can never take away sins. And then it turns. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice, he sat down. Why does he sit down? Because his job is done. The sacrifice has been given. He doesn't have to do it again and again and day after day. Uh, Jesus has given himself once and for all. Verse 26 of chapter 9 says to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Hmm. And again, there's that high priest. No one had ever heard of a high priest who sacrifices himself. It's an amazing picture. Michael, earlier you mentioned the word shadow, that all of the Old Covenant was but a shadow of things to come. Verse 1 of chapter 10 talks about this. It says, For since the law has been but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Yeah, and, and just think about that for a minute. What, what can a shadow accomplish, <laughs> right? The full light of the sun can accomplish something, but, but, uh, but not a shadow. And now that uh, the true light has come, these, these old things that were shadows that pointed to, that were little paradigms of, that were indicators for who Jesus would be and what he would mean, now that he's come, uh, those things are done away with. And, and, and verse 13, I think, is where this all comes to conclusion. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And that's what this is all meant to accomplish He's, he's made perfect forever those who have accepted this sacrifice of him. And as chapter 10 moves on, we have a wonderful quote from Jeremiah 31. This is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts mm-hmm. and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And that's the heart of the gospel, this idea that God is going to do a work in our hearts, that he's going to transform our minds, and that we will be completely and utterly forgiven by him. Uh, as, as the writer said earlier, made perfect and uh, being made holy in the process. And therefore, our hearts become the temple of the living God oh, in the new great. covenant. Right? Oh, that's a wonderful, yeah, that's a wonderful idea. The tabernacle now is our hearts, and that's really what Pentecost was all about. Uh-huh. What happens, those tongues of fire over the heads of each one of those believers in Acts indicated that now each person had become a tabernacle of mm. God. His dwelling place is inside us as living temples. That, that's really something, yeah. Michael. All because of this one who, in his perfection, in his eternal nature, did something unbelievable by offering himself. I know I've repeated that so many times, but that's the remarkable thing about our high priest. He is the only, only high priest who offered himself. And because of that, none of us will ever be the same again. Well, Mike, as we wrap up our time in the Word today, and before we introduce our guest on today's program, I just have to look back on what you've just taught us from the Scriptures and just say what a privilege we have to host the living God inside our hearts. I mean, Mm. that... That's available to us. Yeah, we don't have to wait for that one day, uh, wait outside the temple the way the uh, Israelites did, that one day a year, the Day of Atonement, wait to see if the high priest would appear, to wait to see if his offering had been acceptable, and then know that our sins would be forgiven for one more year. Mm. We don't have to do that anymore because he, our high priest has been heard. Yes, he is our mediator now and always will be right there for us. Oh, he, is, he has sat down at the right hand of God, and he's there interceding for us. It's an amazing truth. Well, Michael, I'm going to give you a chance to change positions there and move over to the piano because there's a song that we're going to ask you to sing for us now, which really captures what we've been talking about here. Jesus is our high priest. Now, I remember even before the era of CDs, I remember <laughs> having this song on a blue cassette. I can, I probably still have the cassette somewhere. What is the song? Well, it's, it's called He Was Heard, and it, it actually came from a sermon of uh, Bill Lane's on uh, Jesus is our high priest. Mm-hmm. In the days of old, the priest would come with a lifeless sacrifice While the crowd in anxious silence would wait outside As he entered in the temple, 
They only hoped he would be heard. God would give them a tomorrow, and the priest would stay alive. Their only chance, their only hope, would he be heard? The only way they might be saved, would he be heard? In the fullness of the promised time, the final priest did come, and he offered up a living sacrifice. Now we, his children, wait for him with hope and joyful praise. For we know that God has heard him, for we know that he was raised. He offered tearful prayers and he was heard. He offered up his life and he was heard. Fix our eyes upon the priest whom God did hear For the joy that was before him He overcame the fear For once in all he paid the cost Ensuring all the pain Taking up the cruel cross Ignoring all the pain Michael Card at the piano here in the studio with the song He Was Heard. Well, Michael, I know you recall that just last week on the broadcast, we opened to Hebrews chapter 5 and chapter 7 as well and talked to Dr. J.I. Packer mm. about uh, our our high priest, Jesus Christ, after the order of Melchizedek. Dr. Packer is back with us on the telephone for a few moments mm. today, but we're going to talk about something entirely different. In the creativity section, we would just like to talk. I, would, I specifically had a question for Dr. Packer. Um, just this summer, in, in my own interaction, uh, our racial reconciliation group, one of my pastors, uh, who was absolute John Coltrane fanatic, had mm-hmm. given me a number of his CDs and said, now listen to these. I want you to uh, you know, appreciate these. And I found it difficult to learn a new musical language. And when you told me that Dr. Packer was a, a jazz Classical jazz. Fan, yes. Yeah. Uh, and now that he's here with us, Dr. Packer, welcome back. Uh, my question to you was, what was it like for you to learn a new musical language? Oh, well, what we're talking about here is something that happened to me when I was very young, in my teens. Um, And it never felt like learning a new language. Just for the record, it felt much more like um, learning to use a language which um, already I'd heard other people use, which had grabbed my heart, which seemed to me um, a meaningful musical language and which never presented me with the kind of problems that John Coltrane, frankly, presents to me Mm -hmm. as he does to you. Um, See, what happened was that when I was 13, that was a long, long time ago, I was a boy doing my school homework and the radio was on and as a filler, actually, between two programs, I heard a record made by Jelly Roll Morton and his Red Hot Peppers in 1926, and it turned me inside out, to use the old language that we used in those days. It sent me completely. It (laughs) took my breath away. I went over and stood by the radio, um, which was up on a shelf, incidentally. I put my ear to the radio and just... uh, allowed it to wash over me and gasped because it was music that was opening a door, I felt, to um, a world of brighter colors and richer experience than the world that I ordinarily lived in. Mm. That was me at the age of 13. I'm rather older now, and um, I know how people have described this uh, language of early jazz, Um, 
and I'm very happy to go with the description of it as a musical language. Very simple in itself um, in terms of the Western musical heritage, but it has soul. Well, what happened was that I bought bought myself an, an old clarinet and began to learn to mm. make these musical sounds myself. And for a few dizzy weeks, I played in a jazz band, and it mm. was a great experience. Mm. Oh, Dr. Packer, I, you and Michael are the musicians then. I don't have any uh, gift in that direction at all. But I, I do have to ask you this, uh, in light of what you've just said, um, we want to be bound by Christ and his word, of course, but I sometimes feel that perhaps Christians are a bit narrow in what we are willing to accept as uh, as, a, as a God-given creative gift. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, I do, and I think you're absolutely right to feel it. What I think I detect as I move around is that because we evangelicals lay such emphasis on being under the authority of Scripture and under the authority of Christ and therefore not innovating in the way that um, liberal Christian thinkers have so often done, but simply following the lead of what's there, we, 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 we find it hard to appreciate the essence of creativity, which is that using the gift that God has given you, you bring into being something that wasn't there before at all. That's creativity. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's being a, uh, Tolkien had a word for it. It's being a sub-creator under God, doing what you do only because of the abilities given you and the strength he supplies, but actually causing something to be that wasn't there before. Tolkien, when he talked about being a sub-creator, was surely thinking of his creation of Middle Earth and the Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. And all the languages that he created with Oh, them. yes, yes, he created, that's right, he created languages to go, um, to go with this world that he'd um, generated out of his own imagination. It's a very grand-scale piece of creative work, and, uh, of course, you, we can begin to see it on film now. Uh, well... When you're when, when you're playing jazz, you're doing that. Jazz is an improvising art. You bring to it uh, your knowledge of uh, musical keys and key changes and of the particular tunes that you're going to uh, work with and the harmonies that, um, that that go with them. I was an old I was an old fashioned early jazz type player. And it was a wonderful experience. It was like um, being in a string quartet, I suppose, where you hear around you all that's happening, all the music that's being created, and you help it to continue. Um, only in this in this case, um, the music that's being created, all of it has a certain improvisatory, creative character. You're not just following notes as you are when a string quartet plays. Um, you are working with a tune, but the tune is the springboard for all of you. And, of course, people have different uh, and varying motivations as they do that, but when you get right down to it, it, it's a spiritual thing, isn't it, Michael? I mean, let me get Michael's reaction to what you've shared, Dr. Peck. Well, I I definitely believe that creativity at that degree is is an act or can be an act of worship. Hmm. Uh, And and I also love Tolkien's idea, the sub-creator idea, because... Uh, frankly, a lot of the creativity books that I've read uh, in Christendom have this sort of blurred idea that we we create out of nothing the way God does, which is completely nonsense. Right. Uh, uh, childlike imitation is what we can do. I think Karl Barth talks about that in a in a great way. Yes, that's that's a very good way I think to put it. That's uh, a focusing of what I was trying to get at yeah. by what in what I said about. Uh, jazz improvisation being controlled mm-hmm. by the tune and the harmonies and the whole frame of what's going on and what, what the other instrumentalists are doing and so forth. Well, it sounds like we need to do but, a record. <laughs> but when you're being 
creative in this way, or when any musician is being creative and improvisatory, you are actually expressing what's in your own heart willy-nilly. Mm-hmm. Dr. Packer, we, uh, of course, have to recognize uh, people have various musical tastes. That's always going to be the case, but it just seems like we need to give each other as believers, as followers of Christ, a bit more room sometimes to innovate, as you use that word. Uh, in music, we tend to regard particular styles as the proper styles, and nothing else is proper. Well, when it comes to to, to uh, creating hymns and songs to the Lord, as we all know, there are different ways of doing it and different musical idioms that are employed. And the easiest thing in the world is for us sinners to go sinful, and we dig our toes in, and we insist. There's only one way of doing it right, and it isn't being done that way at the moment. How many so times has that been said? And congregations are split over this, as yes. you know, the old hymns versus the modern praise songs and all that kind of thing. Dr. Packer, one last question for you along these lines. Um, I think uh, what you've shared with us today is marvelous, and I I thank you for taking the time to do it, but it just impresses me that, um, admittedly, um, you are up there in years, and yet you have this attitude, and yet that's not the normal course for people. Normally, the older we get, the more rigid we become. Well, I think that if we're walking with the Lord, and certainly if we are constantly in the company of younger people, as I have been, you see, right up to this time. I'm, though I'm technically retired, I'm still teaching at Regent College, and so interacting all the time with people in their 20s. Um, well, it does act as, uh, uh, how can I say, as a hedge hmm. against becoming rigid and uh, unduly narrow in the way that um, the way that you were you were expressing, Wayne. Maybe there is a fountain of youth. You've got to keep opening your mind over and over again, uh, reminding yourself, well, now these people, they are expressing their integrity in what they're doing as much as I was expressing my integrity when I played old-fashioned jazz, um, New Orleans and Chicago style, uh, back in 1944, which is when I had my short spell in the jazz band. Mm. And they, they have as much they have as much right to do their thing to the glory of God as ever I had to do mine. Well said. Well thank you for speaking that freedom into the subject. We need that so much. Thank you, Doctor Packer. Well it's a pleasure to share what yeah. I've got to share. Yes. And may the Lord keep us all young in the sense that I was trying to express. Mm. We're going to pause our conversation now as we come to the halfway point of this session. We hope you'll stop by the Michael Card Music Facebook page and interact with other listeners about what you're hearing. Or reach us directly when you send your comments, song requests, or questions via email. Write to us at inthestudio at michaelcard.com. Again, inthestudio at michaelcard.com. There's much more teaching and insights like what you've heard when you check out Michael's books and music. Explore all that is waiting for you at michaelcard.com. Well, there's more music and conversation coming your way after this message here in the studio with Michael Card. Here's Michael on creativity and the CSB Adorned Bible. I mean, it's almost there's a surprise element to what art does. You see a picture and you're drawn in and you... Um like one of these Doré images, all of a sudden you're sort of there before you realize what's happened. This month's featured resource is a beautiful edition combining the current CSB translation with classic depictions of Bible events from Gustave Doré's wood engravings. Learn more about the CSB Adorned Bible at csbible.com. When you order, receive a 40% discount on your CSB purchase at Lifeway. Just type card 40 with no spaces for your 40% discount. The CSB Adorned Bible, a great translation with a collection of 200 masterworks to inspire your imagination. Order your copy when you search for CSB Adorned Bible at csbible.com.
Michael, a little bit later on today's program, we'll talk with Pastor Denny Denson, one of your good friends, your pastor, as a matter of fact. Absolutely, yeah. He'll join us a bit later today here on the broadcast. Something we've never talked about is your concert ministry. Mm-hmm. You continually travel the country and, and minister in concerts, and people appreciate that so much. Well, that's my deal. I mean, I <laughs> sort of feel like that's, that's my job. That's yeah. the job part of what I do, yeah. Well, why do you do it, though? Well, uh, I have no other reason besides the fact that I'm called to do it. Uh, it's funny, I'd, I'd gotten into a rut at home. Uh, I'd, I'd be getting ready to leave, and the kids would come up, oh, Daddy, well, why do you have to go? And, oh. and I would say, well, do you like this house? Do you like having toys? You know, I had this sort of, you know, brusque uh, mm-hmm. response. And the Lord really convicted me of that. And the last, last time I left, we all got together. We all sat on, on my bed. And I just told them, kids, you know, I, first of all, I apologize for giving you that type of an answer. Let me tell you why I really do this. Mm. You know, that God has called Daddy to do this. And that's the only reason. Boy, that's and you know so what? much better. It's so much better for yeah. them. And I said, you know what? If, if, uh, if, if I wasn't, you know, making a living doing this, uh, I would still do it. And, and the other thing that I realized just in talking to him, and we wept together, I said, you know, part of this is, uh, part of the cost of this is there are moments that you and I are missing that we're never going to get back. Mm. And we need to mourn those. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think there's something appropriate. Uh, certainly God gives us uh, other brothers and sisters and houses and lands, you know, the way that uh, Jesus says. Yeah. But at the same time, when Peter and James and John, and Le- they leave their business and they leave their families, I mean, there's there's something that needs to be mourned. I think, and so I'm. I'm writing a song right now called "Mourning the Death of a Beautiful Dream," oh. because it, there is something that a person does give up that needs to be mourned. Well, I'm sure that doesn't make it any less painful for you or Susan or the children when you have to leave. But there is an understanding. There's context there, absolutely, and and, and, uh, and meaning. And and how much better that is, like you were saying, how much better that is than say, well, you know, daddy's going to go and try to make yeah, these sales, yeah. you know. And, and at the same time, I mean, I've watched and you, you manage this very carefully. You're not gone longer than you have to be. I try not to. I try not to. But I think just the realization that there are, we're missing moments that we're never going to get back. Mm-hmm. That hit me yeah, pretty yeah, hard. That is good. But but and and again, though, let me put this in context. I mean, the the sacrifices we make are so huh. minuscule. First of all, in 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 relation to people who are on the mission field and that mm-hmm. sort of and but then most importantly, it's so infinitely minuscule to the sacrifice that Jesus has made for well, me. Well, the principle you just shared, I'm thinking of the listener, the mom or dad who goes to work every day. You know, yep. those moments are going to be lost as well. Absolutely. And 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 we are often called to give those things up for the Lord, to let those things go, trusting him that he is going to fill you know, he's going to uh, make up for that, that absence in the lives of our children, which I absolutely believe he does. Mm-hmm. But he'll also give us uh, a reward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many concert dates do you shoot for each year? Well, used to do 150 a year, no. which is way too much. Oh, how did you do that? Well, I almost, you know, almost <laughs> self-destructed doing that. Then went to uh, 60, cut back to 60. But we discovered that 60 uh, didn't generate enough sort of income to get keep the boat afloat. Pay the overhead. Right. Yeah. So now we're, we're back up to 80. So okay. I, I do 80 concerts a year now. And let me mention to our in-the-studio listeners that uh, our website contains the concert dates. Mm-hmm. So as people want to come and hear you in person and meet you. Right. We're out there. I just started a solo tour, which is it's uh, a lot of fun. I usually tour with bands, but about every two years I'll do a solo run just so I can do whatever I want to, and uh, we'll see how that works out. The website we're referring to is www.michaelcard.com, and the concert dates and much more. There's other stuff on even, there, too. Even some more things about this radio program there, right there as well. So yep. we urge you to check that out when you have a chance, maybe even while we're on the radio. Our listeners can run to the web if you have access right. and, and get to know us even better. Michaelcard.com is the website. Well, when people meet you in concert, and I'm, I know that you get to meet people a lot. somewhat, you know. A um, lot of people. There's not a lot of time for interaction, but some. What are some of the questions that people have for you? I'm, I'm glad you asked me that because there, there are questions that come over, over the years have come again and again and again. I think the one that stands out in my mind People who come to concerts, at least a lot of them, tend to be people who are obviously musical and care about music and mm-hmm. worship and that sort of thing. And a great number of those people are uh, people who've also been gifted to write or to sing in their own church. A lot of writers come to the mm-hmm. concerts. Okay, I think I know what's coming. You then. know where this is going. <laughs> and so many of them come up to me 
and just say, what do I do with this stuff? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, God has given me these songs. And, um, you know, what do I do? You know, can you record this song that I wrote? And I'll go, well, no, I write them too. You know, that's sort of my, my calling too. And so um, my first question to them is always, do you play these songs in your church or in your community? Do you use these songs that God has gifted mm-hmm. you with? And probably half of the people say, well, no. Because they that high? Oh, at least and maybe a little higher, huh. and because because they they can't conceive of any other way that songs can be used besides sticking them on a record and that so it's sort not of thing. just that they don't have the opportunity; they don't see and don't go looking for that opportunity. Sometimes they don't have the yeah. vision to see that when God gives a gift. I mean, this is our theme, but mm-hmm. when God gives us a gift, He gives it in the context of a community, uh-huh. and so I, I have to believe that when the Lord gives a song, that song is meant initially anyway, to minister, to wash the feet of the brothers and the sisters in within my reach, in my church or in my small group or maybe in area churches, that sort of thing. Right. And uh, only in rare instances do I think things like that are meant then to just be launched and splashed all over well, the place. Well, you can say that because I know that you didn't sit down long ago and say, okay, Lord, here's what, what I'll do with my life. I'll do these songs and I'll sing these concerts and I'll get to do all this. Absolutely not. I mean, I, I started writing songs for 25 people for six years. I wrote songs for t- about 25, 30 people in a, in a small little biracial church in Kentucky when I was in college. Didn't want to be a songwriter, wanted to, you know, be uh, a, a miniature Bill Lane and be a professor and have a degree and all that stuff, which uh, has not happened. But uh, and, and so I think that that sort of gives me the privilege then when people come to me and say, oh, I, you know, God has told me I'm going to make records and do all this. And I'll say, you know, I'm not questioning what God may or may not have told you, but I can tell you that God gives gifts so that people can minister in the context of their community, that music is water to wash the feet of the brothers and sisters. And if you're not doing that, there's something wrong. That's good advice. Yeah. Now, I know the music that you are are given, uh, that you create uh, as a sub-creator yeah. under God, as we've talked yeah, about on the program, good. that um, that it touches people's souls, though. And uh-huh. I, I know people come up to you and they say, oh, Michael, you know, I, I really feel like I know you oh, because, yeah, I, because I, I identify with your music so much. What, yeah. How do you answer those? Well, that's a great one, too. Um, there was a time when I would say, oh, thank you, you know, <laughs> kind of sort of soak that uh, encouragement up and run on because I am an affirmation junkie. Yeah. I have learned that. <laughs> but what I've learned to do, and, and Ken Cope, our friend, has helped me to realize that uh, we aren't our gifts. You're not your gift. No. I'm not my gift. And so when people say that now, I, oh, I really feel like I know you. I say, well, you don't. <laughs> you don't. You know. Uh, they kind of scratch their heads when you yeah, say that? Yeah, some people understand, some people don't. I say, you know, you know a, a, a very small facet of just the best part, <laughs> but there's a whole lot more, and there's a lot that you probably wouldn't like very much. <laughs> and there are people who know me that well and still love me nevertheless. But uh, thanks for being honest with that answer, because I think we all know that there are people who do feel that they are their gift mm-hmm. and they don't feel necessary to be accountable to anyone else in any other way. Right. And that's our community theme. You come home and you are plugged into community where people hold you accountable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and all of us need that. And, and you're correct. We aren't our gifts. And, and that goes for everybody. I mean, that goes for pastors. That goes for people with hospitality gifts. How many people with hospitality gifts do you know that that's their whole identity? Mm-hmm. And when you want to talk, you know, perhaps to the, the Mar- sort of the Martha types, right. you want to connect with their soul and really talk to them. They, they don't, they can't go there because all they can do is you know, push a, a casserole in your face mm-hmm. or, you know, rub your feet. Or, mm-hmm. And that's wonderful. But uh, I think you see, you know, in, for example, a, a Mary who anoints Jesus' feet, she understands she's not her gift. There's a soul there. One last question. How can people pray for you specifically and your family? Uh, the, great. Thank you. Um, best, best thing to pray for me is strength. Sim- plain and simple. Pray for strength. Not, not getting any younger. And uh, and and um, need strength uh, for the family. Probably the same thing for the family because it's it is a it's a fairly stressful life that we uh, we live. We uh, we do our best to to put a, a context for the children that's in the country that you know the chickens in the garden and the agrarian southern agrarian lifestyle that we love. Uh, but yeah, pray for strength for us. That's what we need strength. 
and God is the wonderful provider of strength. Now in the studio with Michael Card is our good friend, Pastor Denny Denson from Franklin, Tennessee. Michael, this is your pastor. Yes, he is. He's and he's much more than that. He's uh, he's a friend who is uh, willing to walk with me. Denny, welcome back. Thank you. It's good always to good back. to see you and spend time with you. Thank you, uh, Denny. We want to talk about uh, community in this in the sense of the local church. Now you mm-hmm. pastor a local church, so yes. I think that uh, that gives you a little qualification here to talk about these things today. Where are we in the church in terms of experiencing true community? From the last time we talked, we talked about we're talking about community and neighborhood, and I and I feel personally that the church itself reflect more of a neighborhood perspective than a community perspective because it doesn't reach outside of itself. So we need a bigger picture. Yes. The thing the thing that that happens is that uh we we tend to not reach outside of ourselves. The church tend not to reach outside of itself. We're satisfied in our own little realm. So therefore community is not being achieved. So I feel that the church itself uh uh has a long ways to go. Uh, there's much work need to be done uh, that that we that the church itself might become a community. I think if you look at the life of Jesus, you see someone who deliberately created community wherever he went. I mean, you've got the three, you've got the twelve, you've got the seventy, and it was uh, like Denny was saying, it was it wasn't a neighborhood mentality. You had. You had tax collectors, you had super righteous Jews, you had workmen, you had, uh, and then Jesus himself as a carpenter. And when I look at the church today, and this is something I've agonized over, I don't know, I need to come to a better place myself just in the way I relate to it, but uh, my feeling is, you guys tell me what you think, my feeling is that Christ has has made us one. We are one. We're already there. Yeah. It's something that he's done, but the problem comes in then when we, we don't live out the truth of what we already are. So we do, we hold, like Denny says, we hold up in uh, homogeneous, you know, uh, uh, not just racially, but uh, economically, you know. And, and denominational. And, den- yeah, that's yeah. the worst one. You, yeah. you know, I, 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 think, I think what happens is that, uh, that, that because of traditions and, 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 and communities, relations, relational, and, 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 and in order for the church to, to uh, be able to, exercise uh, of bring into vision communal act uh, living uh, then what happens is that the church itself needs to develop relationships when you've got denominations that that are not willing to fellowship with other denominationals be nominations rather because they feel that they've got the right you know mm-hmm. and and so the church itself needs to uh, uh, develop a, a more relational attitude I think Denny, I know that you're not giving up on the church, though, are you? Oh, no, I mean, no, this never, is God, never. This is God's, never, uh, God's never. way. Yes. What, what would be the marks of, of true community as lived out in the body of Christ in a church? What, what would be some of the marks that this is really working properly here? Yeah, um, very tough question. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, uh, um, I, and, and I can only just speak from experience as to what's happening here in Franklin. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and that is that... that uh, uh, the church where I pastor, uh, uh, the white brothers, no matter what the denominations, they they have the, they have been at our church and preach. We do fellowship, uh, 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 Christ Community, which is a PCA church. Uh, their their opening service at their big new building. I, I was being a black pastor. I was there for that. It wasn't always that way. Though, no, it? no. It but it it, it has come. It, it has come about. Because of community, because relationships are being developed, mm-hmm. this is how it has come about. And the wonderful way that God has done it, I don't think Denny was invited because they said, ooh, we should have a black pastor come at the opening of our, our new building. Right. I think what happened is, here's a, here's a man we love, who we respect, who we're, we're walking with. Why wouldn't he be here? Not because someone said, ooh, you know, we need to do racial reconciliation. Ooh, we need, a, you know, we need yeah. to have a black pastor come. But the fact that uh, Denny has relationships with uh, Scott Rowley and my Mike Smith and so it was only leaders. natural yeah. that that Denny be there. Yeah, and and there's two sides to this. You know, um, sometimes people say, "Oh, when I see you, I don't see color," and that's not completely where we want to go, right. is it, Denny? No. Well, well, you know, the the thing that happens is that when when one says, "Well, 
when I see you, I don't see color. What they're saying to me, I don't exist. They don't accept me as I am. Mm -hmm. But it's one thing about uh, community and one thing about what's happening here in Franklin. And that, that is I can be a black male. Mm. I can I can voice my opinion and, and these and yet I'm still loved because of the community living that yeah, we're an, that, that's, an equal partner yes. in the ministry of this community. Yes. Yeah. And that's not what you often see. I think what you often see is, and it goes both ways. You see, when uh, whites come into the black community, they sort of adjust their behavior and they right. adjust themselves. And similarly, a lot of times when when uh, black men and women come into the white community. It's this strange posturing, you know, uh, and it, it 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 makes people uncomfortable, and it frankly doesn't work. And it it's because the relationship's not there. Right. But 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 one the the thing that happens in community geared environment is that everybody can be themselves. Yeah. You know, and 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 this comes about not because of the fact that that. That I, I know how to do this. Uh, uh, Michael knows how to do this. Uh, any of the other brothers that's part of the Empty Hands Fellowship, it, it 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 has come about because of the fact we have truly opened ourselves to the Lord and said, so, Lord, whatever you do with me, it's okay. And He has accepted all of us just the way we are. Yes. And so we can accept each other. No, I was just thinking. Of course, this applies to men and to women. Now, the Empty Hands sure. Fellowship is primarily a group of men, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. Yes. But here you're talking about men who don't ordinarily. Let other men see them as they really are. You know what I'm talking about. Well, if you if you just you know, it, and this is just not talk, but this is facts, and that is that that we cry together, we we share together, we we we're open. My life is an open book. I, I'm accountable to Michael. Uh, I'm accountable to the other brothers as part of the Empty Hands Fellowship, and all of this birth out of community, and and, and what what I try to do as a pastor is take this back to my church. One of I, I would say one of the biggest problems that one of the biggest problems that has happened within this community uh, 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 environment is that the pastors have reached the level where the congregations haven't. And so now we've got to reach back and and this is what we're doing now Interesting. And, and bringing the congregations along. Mm -hmm. So you let your flaws be known to your brothers, right? Absolutely. Now that's that's part of it. It's painful sometimes. Very much so. But it's part of it. It's part <laughs> of accountability. Yes. All too. Yes. We have uh, one of our brothers, Dr. Johnson, who uh, will no doubt uh, the the listeners will meet on this program. Uh, Dr. Johnson is he is the one who always is talking about pray for your wives, right. give right. your wife slow time, give right. your wife lazy time, that yes. sort of thing. And just last time we prayed together, you know, and of, of the la the last person you would ever expect to you know in intimate that he'd had trouble with his wife wife he he has this thing you know you, you remember what he said he he said uh uh you know when you first get married you just yes. want to eat her up yes. you just love her so much yeah. and then later on you wish you had eaten her up yeah, yeah. you know and because apparently he he and his As, wife had had a little tiff right and and but here he is this wonderful brother 77 who, years old uh, just awesome yeah. man actually he was the first black teacher at moody yes he was well, I remember one, that well wonderful wonderful brother but that spoke so much to me as a you know as a married man that that you know fre frequently Susan and I have our struggles that Ben is having a struggle Right. who prays so much right. for his wife and right. all of our wives. Yes. That yes, was uh, an amazing moment for me. What do you right. do with that? When Once someone has been that vulnerable with you in a, in a, you, you in love a community? Him. You love him. I, I mean, you, you just love him. Yeah. Th this is all, what, what can I do? You know, I, I can't straighten out something between Mike and Susan. So you're not I, there to solve the problem. No, I'm, I'm there. To, well, for instance, if Mike doesn't mind me saying, you know, Mike was going, and he was on the road. I called Susan, and I talked on the phone about about a couple hours, yeah. you know, huh. and, and we just talked. Yeah. And, and, and Mike, when he came home, he said, well, I'm I'm really glad. But yeah. this would have never happened had it not been for community. Yeah. God is teaching us how to open the door of our lives to each other right. in ways that we could have never dreamed of. And, 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 and I know this is supposed to be what can, it's supposed to be what can church, you know, what can the church do? And, and, and I, I don't, the church will not do anything if it does not open itself up to the Lord. Yeah. Well, I was just wondering, is this another program that we have to put in place in a church? It, it, I, no. I, you, no, you can't. It's, it's, it's not. You can't program it. Yeah. The, 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 and it, I think it's really an individual. It's on an individual basis. One has, one has to know that there's more to uh, what himself, uh, more to give than what he's giving. Yeah. And, 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 and see... 
how, how could it be community if I'm just going to only give to the black community, if I'm just going to be open to the black community? Is, has there been a time when either of you have felt like you've surprised yourself of, as what's come out uh, because of this, uh, this relationship that you have with the others? Yes. yes. Uh, you know, because... So there's some self-discovery here, too. Uh, oh, yes. Well, one of my background and, 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 and where I'm from, I, I never thought... I, who am I? To, you know, I would never stand in the front of any, a group of men and cry. Me? No, I, I can't do that. Now this is a tough uh, Vietnam veteran. Well, we're talking yeah, about tell here. just a little bit about you know. Well, well you I'm, from. I'm from Chicago. I grew up on the South Side and, and down on the low end, as they call it, around 35th Street, and and gang activities and all of these kind of things and military and special and forces. Part of the Black Panthers. Part of I mean, Black. All of yeah. this, but 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 to stand, you know, but 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 when you when you open yourself up to God, you open yourself up to God's people. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I you know, and, and so that's what, but but to stand and weep, you know, in, in the presence of, of brothers, you know, it. But then, what has happened? That too has also made me a better husband. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and Mike, how about you? Well, I, I think I think he's right. I think there's a a, a a different sort of accountability that happens within the context of that kind of relationship. Yeah. When I hear Denny. Uh, confessing and praying for uh, Leela when I hear uh, Ben, you know, saying that maybe they'd had some trouble and pray mm-hmm. for me. That 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 puts, you know, my my uh, role or obligation or whatever, I don't know what even what word is right towards Susan in this whole different light. I mean, it's I'm it, I'm a husband in the context of all these other husbands, right. and they mess up and they and they do they do it right and and. Uh, I don't know. It's it's just a whole other place to be. What do the scriptures say that a cord of three strands is not easily broken? Yeah. And that's what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. And, and and see, I think what happened in relationship to the church is that all of us who are part of the Empty Hands Fellowship, we take this back to our churches. And, you know, uh, as a pastor, you, 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 you can't force anything on your congregation. But what happens is that we impart it to uh, individuals one at a time, and, yeah. and I think it's going to catch fire. Which is how Jesus did it, mm-hmm. too. You guys are learning such important lessons, and we're learning from you as you go through it as well, and uh, putting it to work in our lives, too, those of us who listen to the radio program. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it's coming through. And, uh, Denny, you're a big part of that. Thank you so much. Thank you mm-hmm. for having me. But I, I just want to say it's a tough lesson to learn because once you open yourself to the Lord and, and He starts to move you, sometimes you don't want to go. You know, the surprising part for me is that it's getting harder. Yes. It, yeah, it did that surprise you? No. no. Yes, it's surprising, but it's getting tougher. So you oh. work through the easy stuff. Now comes the hard stuff. Well, I don't know. It's no, just, we, we work through some hard things, but yeah. it, it just doesn't get any easier. Yeah. And that, that is the, that's been my newest surprise. Yeah. That's been my newest yeah. surprise. Doesn't get any easier. But in, this, in the hardness of it, I'm not alone. I've, no. got, I've got brothers. Makes all the difference in the world. Well, Danny, once again... Uh, thank you for being with us. Uh, you mean more to me than I could uh, possibly ever say. We're so glad you sat in with us for this classic session in the studio. If the Lord has used this hour to inspire you, please take a moment and email your comments to us at inthestudio at michaelcard.com. This podcast is made possible by our friends with the Christian Standard Bible. See all the ways that you can go deeper in God's Word when you visit csbible.com. And this month, We're highlighting the release of the new edition called the CSB Adorned Bible. This beautiful edition combines the current CSB translation with the classic depictions of Bible events from Gustav Doré's inspired wood engraved collection. The CSB Adorned Bible, a great translation with great art to aid your imagination as you read and meditate on what you read. Use the 40% discount on CSB purchases at Lifeway. Just type card 40 with no spaces for your 40% discount. It's available for you online at csbible.com. Now for Ron Davis, Susan Sermon, Lance Mansfield, and our producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for listening in on this session in the studio with Michael Card.